starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello, everybody! How are you doing today? I hope your day is treating you well. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast, but Ma, that's my favorite movie, and I am your host, Bela Day, and today I actually have a returning co-host today, which is my mother. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Yes, I uh, definitely appreciate her coming back for another episode because um, she was actually on episode three, uh, but Ma, that's my favorite black movie, and we had a lot of fun with that episode. So this time around, I have an actual little studio set up. So, um, you know, kind of moving on up a little bit. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So um, before we go any further into this episode, I definitely want to welcome my listeners. Uh, If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. You're a real one period. If you're a new listener, well then welcome and you are in for a treat that I definitely hope will keep you coming back for more. All right. So this episode is titled, but ma, that's my my favorite favorite biopic. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, um, biopic, what is that? Right. Um, our movie focuses will be about a life of a person who is well known for their singing career so both movies we'll be doing today will be about singers um now i felt like my mom would be super perfect for this episode because i definitely grew up watching bio pictures because you absolutely love them yes i really did i I, you know um when y'all were growing up and plus when i was growing up i watched like biopics and everything i mean i really enjoyed them i love finding out about different celebrities and you know the trials and tribulations that they went through you know i like stuff like that. it's it's always really interesting to see people come from humble beginnings yes i love that, that yeah is good. that's why i like to find out about each of the different celebrities because you'd be amazed on the things that you could find out about different celebrities. I like it. And what they had to go through in order to get where they were. Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Um, so one thing I do want to start off before we get into these movies, though, is if you could have a biopic made about any person, like sports or, you know, someone in like their creative field, singer, um, what story would you like made? about somebody i don't know that's kind of tricky um because there's already there's already been so many done yes there's been so many done and i've seen so many of them so right now i can't think of any like right off the top of my head but you know i we we got that aretha franklin coming out pretty soon yeah i'm excited about that i can't wait to see that yeah so um I, if I had to choose a biopic that I would like to see made, um, there's this actress, her name is Freddie Washington, and she was in the 1930s version of Imitation of Life. And I, what I thought was so interesting about her story is she is a light-skinned woman. Um, she had, you know, 
um, she had, well, how would you describe the hair? She had like. She had the good hair. Yeah, but I hate saying that because I feel like all hair can be good, you know. Fine hair. Yes, there you go. Fine hair. Okay, so she had fine hair. She had green eyes, um, but she never claimed to be biracial. She was always living in her blackness. She was proud of her blackness, and I would, I think it would be very interesting to see a story about um, her because she dealt with being black because you know she claimed her blackness, so she couldn't play in romantic leads with white men. Um, but she was also too fair skinned to play the mammy roles because of course, back then the stereotypical mammy had to be dark skinned, you know, yeah. a more full figured woman. Yeah, That was typical. You know, that's how they always portrayed the, the black maids. Or, yes. You know. And so if I could cast anybody to play her, the person I have in mind is Lenora Critchlow. And she was in the second season and second episode of Black Mirror. And if you can, if you look up this actress and then look up Freddie Washington and her name is spelled F-R-E-D-I. So it's not the typical spelling of Freddie. Her real name is Frederica, but she shortened it and went by Freddie. Um, but if you look up those two, you will see what I'm talking about. And hopefully no one steals my idea. Um, but I think that would be a perfect, like that would be an interesting movie to make. Just seeing how someone had to maneuver and try to, you know, get around white Hollywood. Because she was passionate about it. She wanted to do it. But at the same time, she had to, um, she wasn't able to like fully show her potential because of that hindrance. Um all right, so that is it for that. And let's go ahead and get into these movies here. So the first movie that we have here, we're going to go ahead and get into that. Lights, camera, action. Besides, the stars belong to the sky, right? This quote is by the actor who played Buddy Holly. And the movie we're going to be talking about today is La Bamba. La Bamba. All right, so this movie was released July 24th, 1987. The director and writer is Luis Valdez, and he was the voice in Coco. And this bio picture that we're going to be talking about is about singer, songwriter, and guitarist Richie Venezuela, who basically pioneered the Spanish-speaking rock and roll movement. So he was speaking i think he was doing like some spanglish was he doing some spanglish like speaking spanish in english or was he just i think he was just doing spanish maybe i think yeah maybe he was doing full spanish songs but it was a a rock and roll yeah and they wanted to do uh uh yeah they sure did because i think they wanted to do it was that rock and roll sound to spanish music all right so the beginning of this movie um it starts off where we see kids playing on a playground and we see a plane on like on one side in the distance and then we see another plane on the other side and they end up colliding and um this is basically foreshadowing for what is to happen later okay so richie's family had extremely humble beginnings um and we have richie's mom whose name was connie played by rosanna de soto we have richie played by lou diamond phillips we have his girlfriend, Rosie, who is played by Elizabeth Pena. And they're all working on this community farm where there is other families that are working as well. And 
they don't have any actual houses. You know, everyone lives in tents. They sleep on cots. And all of a sudden, we see Richie's brother named Bob, who's played by Issa Morales, um, who comes back into town. So we get this vibe that he's been gone for a while and he's just now coming back. And then as soon as he comes back, he's pretty much on the fact that he wants to get his family out of this area. He wants them to be in a better situation. And he actually shows his mom, Connie, um, all of this cash that he's earned while he's been gone. And at first she's hesitant to take the money. Um, and so then we start to see that uh, Bob and Rosie actually have like this awkward greeting because when Bob first comes into town, we see that it just, I don't know, it gives off just like weird vibes that yeah. they may like each other, but she's but supposed Bob to be Richie's really, girlfriend. I think Bob really pushed that. I, but at the time when he came, he didn't realize that, you know, Richie was liking her. Yeah. Yeah, it was really weird. So um, what ends up happening is the mom does eventually go with, you know, what Bob wants to do since he has the money to, you know, get them out of there. So they end up leaving and they end up being in a house. They end up being closer to the city. And at this point, we have Bob and Rosie. They're together and Richie is in high school, which it kind of makes sense because He's a kid anyway, so he doesn't need to be in, like, any serious exactly. relationship. And, and at the end of the day, you know, she wants the best for her kids. But, you know, when Bob comes, it's like, okay, he comes and kind of saves the day for a while. Yeah, you know? he does. He does. So, Richie actually gets invited to audition for this band um, that one of his friends is in at the school that he's at. And so when he auditions for the band, it goes really well. Um, not only can he play guitar, um, because that's what they needed was a guitarist, but he's also a good singer as well. Um, so he impresses the band. They ask him to be a part of it. And then right around this time where, you know, he's on this high, he's going to be a part of this band. He sees this girl named Donna and he starts to like her, but instantly we know that this relationship is off to a rocky start because when Richie tries to walk her home, um, her dad sees him and he does not approve of him. And it's pretty obvious it's due to race relations yeah, because it was race. definitely it was race. Donna is white, Richie is Mexican, and yeah. so at that time, because this was around the fifties. Um, there was still racial tension. People weren't into mixing races like that, yeah, or it was frowned were. upon. Yeah. So then um, Richie ends up having his first gig with his band. And his mom, his younger siblings, his his older brother, Bob, they all come out to support him. Now, they actually see that Richie is just the guitarist. Like, he's not singing. He's in the back. And they, he is in this band with like this horrible, horrible singer. So then the mom immediately that upsets her because she's just like, um, my kid should be front and center. Like he's talented. What's he doing in the back? So the mom actually ends up booking Richie a gig, um, at a local bar and Bob ends up playing the drums for him. And it actually ends up going really well. 
it goes well to the point that the mom feels as though she can be the manager for him. And so she begins to start getting him more gigs. And she actually starts getting gigs for the actual whole band itself. And um, one of their gigs that they end up getting is at an American Legion building. And the lead singer gets upset, which we can figure because at this point it feels like it's more Richie's band than his. Yeah. So he he decides that he's like, I don't want to play there. But the rest of the band members are like, well, we want to play. Exactly. Um, because they're like, this is an opportunity. Like, why would we Why would we pass something up? That's the whole point of a, being a band. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to get in the industry. So basically, the lead singer, he dips out. And that's where that famous line comes from. I don't know if this is, if this was said in any other movie. But when he says, no dice, Chino. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, when I watched that, I said, oh, is that where that line came from? Okay, so at this gig, Richie actually gets discovered by Bob Kuhn. And what ends up happening is when he gets discovered, he actually has to leave the band behind because Bob gives him an ultimatum. He's like, I either, because Richie is like, well, I got to have my other band members with me. And Bob is pretty much like, I'm either going to record with just you or not at all. So which one do you want? So, of course, um, Richie wants to, you know, this is what he's passionate about. So he has to bite the bullet and, you know, leave his friends behind. Now, he does end up getting signed to Delphi Studio, um, which is definitely a good thing when you're an independent and you get signed by a record label because you have some backing. Now, throughout the movie, he keeps having this reoccurring nightmare of these planes that crashed above his school. Um, and he even says in a later scene that he actually wasn't at school that day because he was at his grandfather's funeral. But he continues to have nightmares about it. And he says this line because Donna asked him where he was. And the exact line that he says in the movie is my grandfather's funeral. I guess his death saved my life, which I felt like that was kind of um, telling, especially about what happens later. So now once Richie has been signed, um, you know, he has a new manager, he's signed to a record label. Um, the manager actually gives him a more professional name because his original name was Richard Venezuela. Um, but he changes his name to Richie. He adds a T and he shortens his last name because he wanted to Americanize him. So like anyone who listens to his music will be able to like say his name easier. Like there's no complications. And so um, Richie actually starts having his music, uh, begin to be played on the radio and he's doing very well. And there's one part where he goes to Mexico with Bob and he discovers this Mexican folk song, which is called La Bamba. And he actually decides to take that folk song and then put a rock and roll spin on it. And that skyrockets his career with that song. Like, I think that's his most famous song. Yeah. Uh, he's today. really known for La Bamba. Okay, so then, you know, of course, with all of this, um, this uh, fame he's starting to get, uh, like, he's starting to get noticed, people are knowing his song, he has to go on tour. Now, while he's touring, he makes it very clear that he will not fly. So he always makes it a point that he goes on either bus or train until he gets booked for American Bandstand, which at that time in the 50s, that was the biggest Thing. Like, oh, I didn't know he was booked for American Bandstand. I didn't know that's what they went down there for or whatever. Yeah, so he had to go to Philly. So that was a big deal back then. Yeah. That was a real big deal. That's like, if you get booked 
at American Bandstand, that's almost like you making it. Yeah, pretty much. For any of the artists back then, that's what they wanted. And so, of course, or unfortunately, he had to go on a plane in order to, you know, meet that date to be able to perform there, which he did. Everything goes fine, right? Um, So it kind of, it gives him a little bit of relief because he's always had nightmares about planes. So this kind of helped ease his fear a little bit. So then um, Richie ends up having a tumultuous relationship with his brother because at this point, you know, Bob technically got them out of like, like the worst part of the poverty oh, in their yeah. life. But then Richie really elevates the bar where yes. he's able to really take care I of his family with his career. Like he had competition with, well, Bob felt like he had competition with Richie. Because he did, because the mom mostly paid attention to Richie. That's true. And That's true. not only did she pay attention to him, I mean, there's one part, one point where Bob, you know, um, he wins a comp- this drawing competition. Oh, yeah. Because he draws what was the original Mickey Mouse. Yeah, like the cartoon. Yes, yeah. and he wins it. And the mom, like when he tells his mom, his mom doesn't really say nothing about it. Because yeah. I, I feel as though, like, even though Richie has, like, a dreamer's career, he made it a reality. Exactly. And Bob necessarily didn't. So it was like the mom kind of went with who actually was showing action exactly. and their passion. If that makes And I sense. guess the reason why the mom was like that towards Bob was because... Bob was always the one who always messed up. Yep. So it was kind of like Bob felt like he had he to prove himself. He was a problem himself, child. And he felt like he had to prove himself because Richie was always doing good. Exactly. So, yeah, he definitely always did have to prove himself. And um, it just caused a rift in their relationship. So now we've gotten to the point where um, Richie is on a tour. Um, it's called the Winter Dance Party. And he's with other acts such as Buddy Holly, J.P. Richardson, a.k.a. The Big Bopper, Dion Belmont, Waylon Jennings, who was the bass for Holly, Tommy Alsup, who was the guitarist for Holly. We have Carl Bunch and Frankie Sardou. And at around midnight on February 3rd, Richie had just finished his concert. And he isn't looking very good because he does have a cold. And he calls his mother but Bob ends up answering and Richie basically takes this moment to attempt to recancel with his brother by inviting him on his tour whenever he lands in Chicago. And it goes well because it's, it's um, received from Bob. Like, okay, if we're going to make amends, we're going to like try to do better as brothers, you know, that's fine. But um, Richie then gets a chance to go on a charter plane that buddy Holly has rented um, because they were having issues with their transportation and, uh, buddy figured that he can get to, um, the next city, uh, before the other acts so that he can be able to like be in a hotel, yeah. be comfortable because but they've had a horrible they had time. A coin toss. That's yes. what it was. That's why he ended up, Richie ended up being on the plane because he lost it. Yes. So there was two members that were supposed to be on the plane, yeah. which was, I believe also and Jennings. But they um, gave their seat. Well, one, I think it was Jennings gave up his seat for the big bopper. And I think also, or maybe I'm mixing it up. But one of the others, they basically gave up their seat for, one of them gave up their seat and Richie won the coin toss. And that's how he got on the plane. And then unfortunately, um, not too long after the plane had took off, it crashed and it killed him. 
And so um, just some details about um, the crash here and like the basically about the tour. So this, uh, the winter dance party tour, it had started on January 23rd and, and it was supposed to end February 15th. Um, and basically the whole tour is a disaster because basically all of the scheduled shows were miles apart from each other. They were having to zigzag through the pretty much the deadliest winter the Midwest had ever seen in decades. And the transportation was just the worst possible. And also the, all these musicians, like, you know, everyone I listed, they were all crammed into a drafty bus and they had to perform in small ballrooms and theaters and it was just a hot mess that at one point on February 1st, Carl Bunch, Holly's drummer, had left with frostbitten feet. So that's how bad it was. Now, by the time um, the band had uh, went to do their show in Clear Lake, Iowa, um, during that evening, Holly had decided to rent a charter plane for himself, Allsup and Jennings, to fly to the next venue in Fargo, North Dakota, following um the show at the surf ballroom and you know like i mentioned earlier holly wanted to be ahead of the game he wanted to at least get some proper rest be in a proper room you know have transportation that's going to get him where he needs to go quicker well the rest of the people can catch up with them and then they can continue on with the tour um because their next show is going to be in moorhead minnesota and then the early morning of february 3rd at the last minute um jennings gave up his seat to the big bopper who had the flu and tony Tommy also lost his seat to Richie Valens with the flip of a coin in the pilot was 21 year old Roger Peterson and he had four years of flying experience. Now this pilot was apparently unaware of a weather advisory that was issued before the plane took off. And so they end up crashing five miles from the Mason city airport that they took off from and it killed everyone on the uh, plane. And uh, Richie was 17 years old and he was actually the youngest to die in the crash. And February 3rd is known as the day the music died. Um, now, Richie had hits like Donna, La Bamba, and Come On, Let's Go. And what's crazy is his career spanned in just a matter of eight months. Like, I can't believe he was able to do everything he did in just wow. eight months. Yeah. And you can imagine, you know, how his career probably would have went. If he would have survived that uh, plane crash. I mean, if he didn't have that plane crash. Exactly. He would have definitely had a much longer career because he was doing really, really well. All right. So um, just to go over the cast here. So we have Lou Diamond Phillips, who played Richie Valens. He was also in Stand and Deliver. We have Issei Morales, um, who played Bob Morales. Funny, they have the same last name. He plays in the show NYPD Blue. We have Rosanna DeSoto, who played Connie Venezuela. Um, she played in Stand and Deliver as well. We have Elizabeth Pena, who played Rosie Morales. She was in Rush Hour, did a voice in The Incredibles. Um, we have Danielle Von Zernick, who played Donna Ludwig. She was known for this movie, La Bamba. We have Joe Pantoliano. Um, I probably butchered that. Sorry for that. Um, he was Bob Kane. Actually, Bob Coon. And um, he played in Bad Boys, like all of the Bad Boys movies. Um, now, Richie was a self-taught musician. So he always had his guitar with him. And he pretty much taught himself. 
And one of the things in the movie was that he was recognized during one of his shows at the American Legion, but he was actually discovered playing at a matinee in a movie theater. And um, he was signed in 1958. And then that first performance he had with the band, the Silhouettes, was in 1957. So that just shows you, like, how quick his career just, like, started off. Um, Now, something that was pretty crazy was that Richie Valens' family was really attached to Lou Diamond Phillips. um, That when they were shooting the scene where Valen gets on the airplane that led him to his death, the family actually begged Phillips not to get on, fearing that he would die. And the family was actually warned not to come to filming that day um, because, you know, everyone knew that they were going to be getting on the plane. But his sister ignored this and drove up to the set anyways. She cried, hugging him, begging him not to get on the plane. So that was just something that was super emotional for him. And that plane crash that Richie kept dreaming about actually really happened. And it happened on January 31st, 1957. And it was right above the Pacoma Junior High School. Um, which I believe now has been turned to a middle school. And um, there were students outside when this happened, when this crash happened. And um, it actually killed several students that were on the playground and 75 were injured. And then luckily Valens really was at a school that day attending his grandfather's funeral. And this crash actually caused his fear of flying. And um, his mom actually had a cameo in the movie. So there was one scene where it's the old woman sitting near Richie at the first family party. Um, but she actually died October 18th, 1987, which was three months after the film's release. And then, okay, one last thing I want to say about this. Lou Diamond Phillips actually came up to my acting school. This was some years ago. And he was talking about, cause this was the movie that, um, boosted his career that really made yeah, his career. It really did. And I remember him saying, and I don't know if I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I remember him saying that he thought it was a theater audition. And he like he didn't know this was going to be a film. Oh wow! And when he auditioned for, it, he got it. And mind you, they had went to, I think like a bunch of cities before they landed on him. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's from or he lived a long time in Dallas, Texas before he got oh, huge. Oh wow! So, I, yeah. see, I never knew that. Yeah, that was down here. And so they found him out of all the people, all the other cities they went to. They liked what he did. So that was really cool. He was meant to have that role. Yes. All right. So let's go ahead and get to this uh, next movie here. All right. So. Lights. Camera. Action. I'm going to let you do the quote, Mom. Uh, The. Oh, yeah. The. um, What she would always say. She'd be like, stop that growling. Sound like old bar or something, and he, then he make that sound like mm-hmm. yeah, because he yeah. Like, every time she would say something, he, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's so, making it for, You sound like an old bar. Okay, so this movie was released March seventh, nineteen eighty. We have two '80s movies that we've talked about here. Yeah, what's what's the odds of that? Okay, I love the connections. Okay, so we have director Michael Apt who who directed Enigma. Um, we have writers Thomas Rickman who did the screenplay. Um, and also he did the river rat. And then of course there's credit to, um, Loretta Lynn because she did her, you know, yeah. wrote her autobiography. I'm assuming called a coal miner's daughter and they yeah. based a movie off of it. 
All right, so let's go ahead and get into the summary here. And, you know, my mom knows this movie like the back of her I hand. I sure do. I she, love me some coal miners' daughter, people. Let me tell you. She knows this movie I think up I was, and down. What, 10 years old when it came? Because I, I never forget going to the uh, movie theater with my mom and watching it. And I don't know. I just fell in love with it. And that's just my go-to movie. I love me some coal miners' daughter. Coal miners' daughter. And basic, honey, she did that. Yes. She did that. Yeah, she killed that role. She killed it. Okay, so the beginning of this movie, we see Loretta Lynn, who's played by Sissy Spacek, who is a daughter of a coal miner. And um, she has a mom who stays at home, and she has like seven other siblings. I'm assuming... Cause, seven or eight. Yeah, um, because what what's the line that she says in the song? Daddy raised eight kids on a miner's pay. Yes. Okay, so Doolittle, well, his real name is Oliver, but in the movie he is referenced as Doolittle, his nickname. Um, he comes to this town that Loretta lives in. This is a very, very small town. And I want to say he actually lived in this town before. Yeah, because he was in the military, and I think he was out. Mm-hmm. And so he came back home. Yes. And so pretty much Doolittle is known in town as being the wild boy. Yeah, he was the wild boy. Um, <laughs> what did they say? Wild as the devil. (laughs) (laughs) So he was always into something. And when we initially meet him, he is basically trying to hustle and bet uh, people because he's right. He rides his Jeep that he he loves his Jeep. Oh, he loves it. And he rides the heck out of that Jeep. And so he pretty much he pretty much um, is bedding with everybody, you know, just kind of causing a little bit of chaos in town. Like everybody kind of goes to work, goes home does their own thing but he he kind of ruffles some feathers and he likes to make i think i can tell he he likes to get his little side hustle on so he likes to make some money because like i said he just he just got out the military so he i think he's all about making that quick buck yep definitely so okay so yeah that's how we meet him and um of course loretta sees him and at one point they have this party with the town they have this gathering yeah and at this gathering, people are dancing, mingling, playing music, just, you know, having a good old time. And at this dance, there's a pie auction where you can bid on the pie and then also get to, like, be with the girl, I guess, dance yeah. with her, sit with her, whatever you want to do. The highest bidder, you know, he gets to, I guess, gets to spend time with the girl. Yes. So that's the prize for, you know, uh, the auction off of the pies. Yes. And so... What happens is when we get to Loretta's pie, um, because Doolittle has been checking out Loretta. Yeah, he's been, yeah. He's, he's been, been eyeing her. Yeah. And so when it comes to her pie, he is, oh, well, actually, I skipped a part. Um, there was someone else who was supposed to auction off the pies, but they weren't there. So Doolittle volunteers. And when he volunteers, you know, he's auctioning off all the pies. It comes to Loretta's. And he actually starts bidding with one of the guys. Exactly. And the guy's like, you're the auctioneer. You're not supposed to be bidding too. And so he ends up outbidding him. You know, no one's going to argue with him. It's like, oh, well, it ain't that serious. <laughs> and so Doolittle has a, t- a chance to sit down with Loretta. He tries the pie. While she's not looking, he spits out the pie because it was gross. Because, because she made a mistake and put salt in the pie instead of sugar. Yep. <laughs> so, and I mean, she's young. So yeah, she's I mean, young, you she know. she has so much to learn. 
And so, he, yeah, he said, uh, how much uh, salt did the recipe call for? Yeah, he was like, uh, how, yeah, exactly. How much salt does this call for? And she was like, you don't put salt, you put sugar. And he was like, oh, I can see how you can make a mistake because both of them are white. Which so. is true. That's true. That is so true. Yeah. And so, um, so then after this, Doolittle uh, walks her home. Well, actually, he tries to give her a ride home. But she decides that she wants to walk home because, because you got to realize a jeep is like foreign to her mm-hmm. you know they're not used to like having transportation they probably walked everywhere they went because the town was so small, small yeah you could literally like walk that. everywhere so he ends up walking her home and then when he walks her home he kisses her well he tries to no he does kiss her no he tries to well he does kiss her <laughs> i just watched the movie okay he kisses her and then he tells her you know you're gonna ride my jeep one day she's like oh you can't what'd she say you can't get the jeep up this hauler or what'd she say he said watch me exactly came the next day don't believe me just watch so yes yes, he gets his car over there and like this is the next day and then he's like oh yeah uh you said you know he was like i got this car up here now you gotta ride with me so she just hops in the car with them they go on this adventure and she stays out too late and the dad gets mad. And believe it, honey, he's waiting with that switch. And he whoops her in a circle. Yeah. Ooh, you stuck on that whooping <laughs> with a circle. Yes, he does whoop her. Well, she was turning around in a circle. He was So he was following circle. her and whooping her with that switch. He sure did. And so immediately the parents don't approve of him. And um, the dad explains later that, one, he doesn't want her around him because he's too old. And she's so young and that she shouldn't ruin her youth by just wanting to be with a man so quickly. Like, yeah. you know, be a kid. Especially at that age. Because, you know. She he was 13. Like, yeah. He was. I don't know. I wonder how old dude little was. But I know he had to be in his 20s. Probably yeah. mid-20s, I'm thinking. Yeah, because they didn't even mention his age. No, they they just said he was an older man. Well, we already know Loretta was underage like she was young. Because he yes. was like, you ain't even 14 yet. <laughs> we just know he was too damn old yeah he was old <laughs> so they they keep seeing each other the parents can't keep them apart um we get to the point where we're around the holidays you know loretta's really not having it because she can't really be with do little like she wants to and the parents you know they're having a good old time the mom's dancing everybody's just you know chilling and because i don't think they had uh, TV back then, so that's when you used to listen to the radio. Yep. So they would listen to the Grand Ole Opera. Yes. And so Doolittle helps himself into the house, and when he helps himself in there, it ruins the party. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're here. And so everybody just scatters. <laughs> the dad leaves out the room. How are you going to make the dad leave out of his own house, okay. though? I mean, it's like, let's leave him alone, you know, so they can have a little time <laughs> together because. Doolittle one, he made it very clear he wasn't going nowhere. So yeah, so that was like okay, whatever. So uh, Doolittle mentions that they're having an anniversary, and like oh yeah, our anniversary came up. We should get married. And Loretta already mentioned to her dad she wanted to marry him, so he already knew this was probably going to be inevitable. Yeah. So then um, uh, she says, "Well, go ask my dad." Doolittle asks the dad, and he's like, "Well, go ask Carly. Go ask Clara." Oh. I'm not Clark, Clary, Clary. Okay, Clary. Go ask Clary, and so he go ask Clary, and Clary goes, well, so "Go then ask Ted." Back and forth game. So she was like, "Let's just get them together," because she was like, "You, they gonna have you walking around all night long." 
Exactly. So then um, she's like, just, yeah, catch him when they're in the bed together, which he does. And then he asks, you know, for a hand in marriage. And they know that he ain't going to go away. So the dad pretty much says, two things you got to promise me. One, you'll never hit her. And two, you won't take her far from home. There you go. And so then... <laughs> well as you know the parents expected do little doesn't do right um and he pretty much um you know he's expecting you know her to be his wife so you know he is on booty duty um not booty that duty. she did not want to be on she she wasn't supposed to be clocked in so she was confused exactly. um and then and then so that kind of creates a rift in their relationship right off because she wasn't expecting all that. Well, because you got to look at it. She wasn't even 14. Exactly. Yet. She was young. So, and usually, you know, you're a virgin. It's your first time. You want, you know, you should do little, could have did, you know, backed up a little bit. Not yes. Not so rough. And that he was too aggressive, I think. Yes. And so, into their marriage, we see Doolittle. Well, he expresses his frustrations. Um, he gives her a book about sex. <laughs> Yeah. And he tells her, You don't cook, you don't clean. <laughs> but let me tell you how I got yes, this ring. Okay. <laughs> okay, Carby wasn't, you know, there back then. But um he was just like pretty much over it at that point because he I guess he had some grand expectation of her, but she was a thirteen year old, so exactly. what you it's if you like want a woman little girl. If you want a woman, you should have been with exactly. a woman. Exactly. So he ends up kicking her out because of that, and that's why he's a jerk. No. He's a jerk. So um, she he kicks her out of the house. She goes back home. But when she goes back home, her dad kind of comments, "Oh wow, he he was talking about oh all this married weight you got on." Yeah. And then the mom looks like, "Oh, she already knew. Snap. She she had eight kids, so she knows when somebody's pregnant. She knows. Okay. Trust me, she knows. <laughs> she she knows. And so uh, Loretta goes to the doctor, uh, finds out she's pregnant, leaves the doctor. She happens to see." Doolittle there in the same area and he's actually talking to another girl just chopping it up and she was about to get in the car until loretta pulled out her switch yeah and was gonna whip her in a circle and she (laughs) called her a sow and she said a sow she said yeah that's a woman pig oh my god yes she She did did. see that she did did. i thought that was so funny um and this kind of foreshadows how she has to fight for her man the whole movie because or her whole life because yeah. he was trifling he was a very trifling and so then he tells her oh well you know what i'm gonna i'm, well, I'm he gonna said leave he's working uh washington yes that he has to leave but he was yes. gonna come back he was gonna send for when he got some and, and, and she tells him well you know you told my dad you would never you know move me far from home but he goes okay you either gonna be his daughter or my wife jerk okay so anyways Ooh, he, ends up, he ends up leaving and then he you know we see loretta later on you know she's big pregnant and he actually does send for her so she ends up going to where he is and they at this point we're well we're kind of fast forwarding some right, years later right. she has four kids yes four children and you know they kind of their life is pretty good it's going pretty well he has a job they got a house um, she knows how to cook now. Yeah, she knows how to cook. She knows how to cook. And I guess she knows how to take care of her man, honey. And, and knows how to clean because there was four, four kids. kids. So okay. she was doing something right. And um, then, okay, we, we we have an anniversary that comes back around, okay? And at, oh, and at this point, she still doesn't have a wedding ring. 
Yeah. Um, but he decides to, he asks her what she wants. She says a wedding ring. He buys her a guitar. And he goes, well, I like the way you sing. And he, he feels like if, you know, you had a guitar that could, like, help you. And she's like, you know, at first, I don't want this guitar. Like, I can't play it. And he goes, well, usually people can't play it initially. That's why they learn. Exactly. And so she does end up um, becoming... She ends up liking the guitar. She plays it. She sings. She's singing to her kids. She's singing on the porch. She's singing she's during dinner. Sing he's he's much. making dinner. And she's up there sitting at the kitchen table exactly. singing. So he really supported her in that. And so he sees the potential in her. And he actually books her her first gig at like this hole in the wall bar. And at first she's hesitant. She's super scared. She doesn't want to do it. But he pushes her to do it because he believes in her. So she does end up performing at the bar. She does well. So he then uh, pays for studio time to record some songs. He takes pictures of her. Uh, then he start he uh, creates uh, well he starts sending off the record to radio stations uh, with, along with her picture so they can see what she looks like. And then they realize that's not really doing enough. So they start going on the road to these radio stations so they can see him in person so they can see her in person. And one station they go to, the guy is like. First of all, he's trying to kick them out, basically. But she keeps, like, introducing yeah, he herself. And then he's like, well, we played it. And it just slayed there. Yeah, and then as they're leaving, they see literally the record there unopened. So then pretty much, you know, um, do he forces him to play the record. And then it actually starts doing good because other radio stations start playing it. She starts doing all these interviews. Exactly. They start liking her personality. She even got on the, the charts when she was number 14. Yes, which they didn't even know. So they're traveling around, don't yeah, even know that they they're on. Know. They didn't even know what charts were. Exactly. They just thought you played music and that was it. Yeah. So then she does make it clear that her goal is to make it to the Grand, Grand O Opera. Yes. And Do actually gets her a spot to play there. How he did that, I don't know. But he just made things see, work. She was already on the charts, though. So if you're already on the charts, then you can perform there. That's how they did that it makes back sense. then. You know, yeah. for the country singers and stuff. I'm assuming maybe in that area, the Grand Ole Opera. That was a big Or deal. is it Opry or Opera? The Grand Ole Opera. So I'm assuming that was probably maybe a smaller version of American Bandstand or something. Was, you know, maybe. But that was big, though. The for Grand them Ole back Opry, then. Yeah. So then when she performs there, she does so well that... Ernest Tubb. Yeah, Ernest Tubbs. He is an actual country singer. Yes. And he hears her play. He loves her. He heard her on the radio. So he hears her in person, loves her, invites her again. And then this becomes a thing. She performs there a bunch of times, 17 times yep. exactly. Yep. And at one point, Patsy Klein hears her on the radio. She invites her to the hospital with exactly. her or to the hospital well, to see her. She heard her from the old opera. Yes. She heard her. Because she, uh, Loretta actually sung Patsy's song. Yeah, she had sung. That's what it was. She sung. I think she sung crazy. Yeah, one of those songs. Yeah. And um, then they hit it off. Patsy and Loretta become best friends. They even do a tour together. They're hanging out together all the time. They become super close because Loretta made it very clear early in her career that she idolized. Yeah, that she idolized Patsy. Patsy, yes. And so... They're best friends. Everything's going well. She finally has like a really close friend that's not due. And um, <laughs> and so then, unfortunately, Patsy Klein does pass away 
um, by a freak plane crash, yeah. which is kind of similar to Richie that yeah. we talked about earlier. I thought that was pretty crazy. So then um, Loretta, her career takes off. She's doing well. You know, she has the house. She has the kids. She has the husband. You know, she has pretty much anything she, she got, wants. She, she really did get uh, really successful. She really did. Yes, until she ends up having a breakdown where she ends up exhausted. She's having these bad headaches like her dad. And it just all becomes too much. So she actually takes a break and, you know, really tries to spend time with her family because she was away a lot. Yeah, she didn't she really was. get to spend time with her kids or and anything. And I think the other four kids were... You know, I guess they Grown were older, up, yeah. and then she had the twins. Yeah, way later. Uh, Peggy and Patsy. Yep. And so, you know, she takes that break, but then she ends up refreshing and is able to get back on the road. And yeah, and I think Doolittle goes with her. Yes. Yeah, because she was like, she need, you know, she needs them there. And he was like, you got all these people fighting over you, and you worried about me. Exactly. But you know, at the end of the day, she wanted a husband by her side. So exactly. All right, so some trivia that we have here in preparation for the role as Loretta Lynn. Sissy Spacek accompanied the singer on one of her tours in order to study her on offstage mannerisms, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, one thing that was cool, Beverly, D'Angelo, and Sissy Spacek did all of their own singing. And director Michael Apt, who also wanted Spacek to sing all the songs live, feeling like he could capture the realism in all the performing scenes. So he wanted... Her seeing them live so she could really capture it. She really moment. did capture it. She she really did she do did. that. That was a really good role for Sissy. That was very good. She really I could believe she could sing like yeah, that. She was really good. I haven't heard I don't know if I've had heard L- Loretta Lynn's actual songs versus uh Sissy singing. But she did she sounds she, exactly like she her. did her justice. She did That's her awesome. justice. She did really good. Okay, um, Loretta Lynn is said to have fainted when she saw LaVon Helm in full makeup and wardrobe because of his amazing resemblance to her real father. He did, though. I, I need to he look that really up, a did. picture of the he, real father versus the like actor. Because when I watched it, uh, what was that they used to have on um, biographies? Back um, in the day. I think behind the scenes or something? No, it was biographies back in the day. I used to watch. And um, I had watched it on Loretta Lynn. And yeah, he did look like her dad. All right, so um, this film places a strong emphasis on the story that Loretta Lynn was married at the age of 13, which is actually false. In May 2012, the Associated Press unearthed Lynn's Kentucky birth certificate, which revealed the singer has been lying about her age for decades. She was actually 16 at the time of her marriage. Wow. Well, she was still young. Yeah, yeah, that was still young. I mean, that was but still young. I, I mean, I guess. But 16, you know, like I said, for the film industry, I mean, you have to do that, you know. Oh, yeah. This was one of the few roles for which Meryl Streep has been turned down. What? Um, Sissy Spacek had high praise for LaVon Helm. He was a musician acting for the first time on film. Wow. I'm not sure if this was his debut, but this was his first time acting on film. And she said he knew that character in his bones. And his portrayal has such dignity and grace that it literally anchors the film. You know what? I really believe that. You know, sometimes when you watch like parenting film, they're not really that interesting. Right, right. But he played that but really yeah, well. He really did. I mean, yeah. He played he did. That. He really did. He did really good. He did really but good. But all of them, kudos to all of them. All of them did it. They, was good. You know, they really did that movie. Like I said, Sissy Spacey, she really did her thing with that movie. And Tommy Lee. Oh, yes. 
So according to Loretta Lynn, Tommy Lee Jones went to meet her husband with his hair dyed red to match Doolittle's youthful color. But Mr. Lynn did not warm to him or let him out. He was Doolittle with some male. He was jealous of him. She said, noting that it wasn't until Do had to teach Tommy Lee to drive a tractor that he began to thaw. So he was cold and he started to thaw out. Eventually, as Loretta put it, Do ended up falling in love with Tommy Lee. Do also showed Jones how to get the most speed out of the old World War II Jeep he drove in the film. So to add on what my uh, mother was saying, the chemistry was crazy good. It really was. Tommy Lee and Sissy. They really did. The parents' dynamic with Sissy and, you Beverly know. Beverly D'Angelo, you know. Play who play Patsy. Yeah. She did really good. It was just a great ensemble cast. Like, they all were great with each other. And, okay, so just to go over the cast here, we have Sissy Spacek, who played Loretta Lynn. She is the Carrie, and she also played in The Help. We have Tommy Lee Jones, who played Doolittle Lynn, a.k.a. his real name was Oliver. Um, he was in Man in Black 1 and 2. He was in The Fugitive. We have LaVon Helm, who played Ted Webb. He was in Shooter, The Right Stuff. We have Phyllis Bowens, Lip Tack, who played Clary Webb, The Dollmaker. We have William Sanderson, who played Lee Dollarhide. He was in Blade Runner, Last Man Standing. We have Beverly D'Angelo, who played Patsy Cline. She was in House Bunny, which connections here i mentioned this in the last episode i love finding connections with movies so when i talked about house bunny in the college episode she was in this movie as well um she was also the wife mother uh in national lampoon's vacation movies we have bob hannah who played he played charlie dick um in fried green tomatoes driving miss daisy and then we have ernest tubbs who was playing himself um who is a real music who is a real country music star um, and he, he has a bunch of his music in different TV shows and movies. And um, I think that's all we got. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. All right, guys. Well, I, I appreciate you for tuning in. Um, you know what? The show is over. The credits is rolling. And I will see you at the next show time. Bye-bye.